Hi, Jan.
Hi, Ryan. Hello, how's it going? Pretty good. Figure it all out. Awesome. I still will say one very nice benefit of this, not only the fact you can just kind of do this in the comfort of your own home, but hey, John, but the, the fact that you guys can uh, us all the way over in Cedar Rapids and not have to drive home after this. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, it's kind of convenient, yeah, sure. although we kind of like it. I'm sure it is. But I'm sure this will just change the way things are. We'll probably be sitting in a, in a Felix and Oscars with a computer. We'll have like half virtual, half people in the room kind of stuff coming up. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Like if I'm here, nobody's going to make me a cheeseburger. <laughs> that is, well, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll have it so you can have your virtual cheeseburger show up or... You can just call it ahead. Hey, uh, Jimmy John's, show up in a half hour. <laughs> Let me get it cool. I just kind of like I've, I've not, I haven't done it yet, but I guess I can kind of say I have done it. Just haven't didn't realize I was doing it. Where people talk about like virtual happy hours, where all their coworkers are like, hey, you know, we all work from home now. Let's all go out for our virtual happy hours. Everybody's like having their drinks and their appetizers and and whatever, and it's like. That is kind of weird, but I mean, it's kind of cool in, a, in another sense. I mean, if you're not going to the office, but everybody used to go out afterwards to, for a drink or two, why not just choose a time and say, let's all get together for a virtual happy hour? Yeah, we've had, we have a friend who's done that. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully everybody's got lots of questions for night, tonight when the time comes. All right. Oh yeah, it'll be nice having a speaker. I, is this our first one where we've had a planned speaker? Not the first one. This is the first uh, virtual one we've had a speaker. Um, we've had some speakers, but not too many. I and mean, we like like Dave did a speech one. Or, hi Amanda. Like Dave did a uh, talk one time, and uh, I really liked how he like brought a sheet, and he's like. Here's, here's 10 things specific to Iowa that you guys should probably know. And then he's kind of like went down through the list and talked about it. And here I was like taking notes. And then all of a sudden he like pauses, like, you realize most of what I'm talking about is on this sheet, right? And I'm like, oh, that is why you handed out the sheet. But yeah, <laughs> like, 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 Dave, like Dave did it. We had a, a couple of uh, uh, financial experts on there one time. Did not go as well as we were hoping for. But, um, I don't think that's going to happen tonight at all. And um, I think now having somebody that is actually a CFP, and I'm not familiar with the XY network, but I guess from the fire community, that is kind of a lot of, there's a lot of uh, fee-only financial planners that are part of that XY network. So I'm not familiar with how that all works. And if anybody has anything to chime in and talk about, or heck, you can just ask Ryan about that when he comes on. Like, what exactly is XY Network? But I do know one thing I'm really excited about is having, because I mean, I, I had a few financial uh, folks that I talked to, and we found a lot of people were more like, well, you know, let's see how high net worth and you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, 
Um, I believe we're going to have a conversation from somebody that knows a little bit more about the fire community, follow some of the blogs. I kind of feel like I'm starting before I should start, but um, just kind of knows what this group is kind of about and can kind of cater a lot towards that. I mean, you can probably go towards the traditional uh, fee-based financial planner type conversations, but when you start talking about retirement and you're like, when do you want to retire? 40. And they're like, what? I mean, I've, I, I still I still get a kick out every once in a while. I have the uh, Northwest Mutual folks. They actually contact me again. They want to get together for another um, financial overview or whatever it's called. Oh, and they're the, only, they're, the, they're the only folks I know of that are like, you are saving way. And I'm like, well, what? <laughs> and then also they're like, oh, yeah, we got some kind of annuity and whole. Yeah, they want to tell you crazy. <laughs> But but they're just like, you realize, like, if you extrapolate this out till you're like 65, 70, what this is going to be? And I'm like, yeah, but the point is not 65 or 70. And like, oh, well, how does that work? You know, so I mean, it's kind of that that end of things where you're not speaking the same language, even though you think you would be. But no, definitely not. So I'm going to shut up for a little bit and let everybody else come on. So I kind of. Gave away stuff I probably shouldn't have given away. And Amanda's going to do a whole bunch of talking tonight, right, yeah. Amanda? Oh, and she's eating. I'm sorry. I'm eating. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, actually, I was I was eating like five minutes ago too, and my daughter's like, "Why don't you just bring the food with you?" I'm like, "No, I'm just going to eat it real quick, and I'll be done." And she's like, "Just bring the food with you," and I'm like, "No." So, yeah. I think the supper tasted good. I'm just not sure. <laughs> See, we got Chris on here. Hey, Chris. Hey, Ryan. How are you doing? Pretty good. I'm always good. fascinated. Every time I see you, I always think about um, the strong towns, and I just keep thinking you're gonna help. You're gonna have all sorts of nuggets of wisdom of how things locally are going on and how we're just totally destroying things. I mean, to be quite honest, I think that's kind of what, what crosses my mind. I did find a interesting Facebook group. I think, group, no, it's not a group, it's a page. I think it's called Open the Books. If you haven't gone to that yet, like it. It might make you a little bit um, frustrated and angry, but it sounds kind of like a group that um, they, through FOIA, gather all of the so the state of New York, for example, where do you spend your money? What do federal workers make? And all of a sudden they put like, here's the top 10 people in, in that state that make whatever they make. Or did you know that there are, you know, 3,000 such and such people that make over $100,000? Then you start realizing that janitors are making $100,000. And you're like, yeah, that's not sustainable. But yeah, it's a very interesting site. I just want to come through my feed now. Uh, that I liked it, but I'm just kind of like, when's Iowa going to come through the feed? Hasn't yet that I'm aware of. So they're doing it state. Yeah, I, yeah, that does sound interesting. I, um, I will have to like it. When you say Iowa, so they look at state for state, or is it like city for city? That that page you're talking about, and then analyze what's going on, or what? From what I'm gathering, it's kind of a, it's a group that wants to make people aware of governments spending in regards to waste. So okay. they they continue to FOIA, that's the Freedom Information Act. So that's the, the law that you can, and I've actually done it before, where you can FOIA 
anything that then anything the government spends money on or anything there's a, a few criteria but you can actually just fill out a freedom of information request and uh, they will send you stuff that wouldn't normally be public knowledge and then i think they just have people they send out the letters and say we know that you spend money to pay salaries please provide the following and then they send the following back they put it into some nice chart and like organize it through spreadsheets and then they just kind of like we just received the state of california's uh what they spend on uh municipalities and then they just kind of present it in a very visually appealing way to drive awareness so i think whenever they get something they try to present it and it's just kind of those things that every so often in my facebook feed as i'm scrolling it just shows a different state or a different area i know yeah, that, I, that's all public information how much everybody makes um, like we get published in the newspaper every year you get to see that we made like 300 dollars from every school district or whatever um and the information is different. i don't know if anybody aggregates that across the state and makes it into a cool chart or anything but you can definitely find it for pretty much every public agency in the state of iowa yeah hey ryan How's it going? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, we'll just give a few minutes just to let everybody join so we have any late folks. Well, actually, we're five minutes after. Um, so, uh, Amanda, since we didn't talk ahead of time, uh, do you have any thoughts on how you want to roll with this? Do we want to just quick give an introduction? Do we want to uh, jump into Ryan soon? Do you have a question you want to everybody jump around with real quick? Or what are your thoughts on this? Or, Anybody else can chime in too if you've got any suggestions on. I mean, it's an open format. It's whatever everybody else wants and what makes the most sense and just what we want to do. Honestly, there's so many people on the call. I don't. I don't want to take the time to go around and do introductions okay. this time. I don't think. Um, that just, sounds. Perfect. Will take forever. <laughs> um, no, per perfect. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Ryan could just give his quick intro and then we could, whenever he's ready, we could just jump into Q&A. Um, not sure how we're going to figure out who, maybe we could use the chat. If somebody has a question, they can type into the chat that they have a question and then we can kind of go in order. So no, not, you know, so we don't have several people asking questions all at once. Does that work? Yeah, that works for me. Okay. I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Let's make sure everybody's muting for the most part before Ryan jumps into it, just so he doesn't have a bunch of distractions in the background. But take it away, Ryan. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, I don't know how well anyone knows me, but I'm a financial planner that just launched my own independent firm a couple months ago. Um, I'm a career changer. I worked at principal for about 10 years prior to this um, and then have been working on my financial pl planner education over the past couple years. So that's a little background about me. Um, I know Ryan had originally asked the group the question about just kind of investing topics with all the market volatility and things we're seeing. So I was going to start out just sharing my screen and kind of showing some charts and things I've found interesting from the past couple months. And then we can get into questions after that. 
Can people see my screen now? Okay. I want that. So I, the first chart here, everyone's probably seen some version of this before, but this is kind of like the biggest takeaway I would have with everything is just don't panic, don't sell out of things, kind of just keep following your plan. So I'm seeing a chart. We just see the background of your computer. I see, I, your, yeah, you see the background of your computer, we just don't see the chart. Mm. Hey, Nick. Hello. I can see your mouse, so it's on the right target. Okay, let me ch double check here. Ryan, did we lose you? I don't see him. Yeah, I think we lost him. So um, I'm sure he'll jump back in a moment. Um, he's, he's joining. Oh, he'll come back in. Okay. Sorry about that. It booted, it booted me out of there when I tried to share. Let me try again quick here. There we go. Yeah, we see it. Okay, good. Yep. Okay, so this chart I was saying, there's a lot of different variations of this, but this kind of shows like if you like panic and get out of the market, this kind of shows if you miss the best day, best five days, how that affects your growth over time. So, I mean, this is showing like a 50 year time horizon. So just missing the single best day out of that span lowered the returns by over 10%. So that's kind of where I always start with like when we're thinking about market volatility and what should we be doing is kind of just stick with your plan and don't do anything crazy right away. Um, this chart, this chart I thought was kind of cool. It's it's showing all the major recessions that we've experienced, like in the history of the market, and kind of how long it took for them to recover. So if you start over here with a ten thousand dollar investment, pretty much like within twelve months. 60 to 70% of the time we're back to where we were or higher. And within two years, it's there's been a couple outliers, but for the most part, we're quite a bit higher. So I think that's kind of interesting with what we've seen here is like we basically had a huge crash with basically just over a month. And then it's kind of in the last 
three months since then kind of worked its way up and as far as like S&P 500, it isn't even much lower than where we started before. Um, this one kind of shows like how the returns work out after a big market decline. So if you look at just the final column here, which is for 20% declines, usually for the year, years after that, for like five years, in the past, we've seen close to 12% returns following that. So this is all just meant to kind of like provide some reassurance about like, what have we seen in the past? How might our current situation play out over time? And if anyone has any questions about these, we can jump in or we can come back to them later once we're opening up for questions. Um, this last one, I thought this was interesting. So the red dots show the lowest point in any given year, how much the market fell down. And then the bars show where we ended up for the year. So like in 2019, we saw like a huge fluctuation because at the beginning of the year, the market was down 7%, but then we ended the year up 31% overall. Um, So then I want to go Can you see my screen as it switched to the PowerPoint now? Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Um this chart I thought was interesting with our current situation. So this shows all the times in history where we've had the market decline by more than 20%. And the part that is most interesting to me is when you look at this, it normally takes like quite a few months for us to see from when it started falling to when we reached the bottom. So the quickest time in history was this um, in the late 1980s, it took about three months to fall 30%. So then comparing to what we saw this year, we fell, I think, 35% at the max in just over a month. And then since then, we've seen it climb up um, close to 40%. So we are seeing like bigger movements than what's happened in the market before. So that's kind of the interesting part to me is that normally these things took like months and months to play out. Um, and then finally, just this last chart is just kind of showing the market over time um, and all the different events. So you can kind of see like when you look at the really long time scale, the things that we saw as like huge crashes at the time don't end up really looking that big if you're invested for the long term. So like they kind of look more like just blips on the radar at that point. So I Overall, my message to people would be like the things you can control. So having some sort of plan and following it, not changing your plan midstream when you have some crazy market event. Um, so things to keep in mind there is like diversifying your portfolio. So if you're having 
you don't want all your money just in U.S. stocks. If you can diversify internationally and things like that, that can help um, balance your portfolio over time. Always keeping expenses and fees in mind because that's a huge issue. Like if the market's dropping, you don't want to be paying like huge fees on your funds or um, investment management that's just going to eat away at it even further. And so that was kind of like the big overall message I wanted to cover. I don't know if we want to jump into questions now. I, we had a couple on Facebook, so I can start there if that's what we want to do. I'm just going to pull that up here. Like we talked about earlier, people want to just in the chat just uh, throw some questions in there, then Ryan can go ahead and answer them as he's seeing if he gets through these two Facebook questions. Yep. Okay. So Chris asked the question about like, how are we thinking about things long-term, like with government debt and all that sort of stuff to think about has the market changed in some fundamental way that we can't count on the kind of returns we've seen in the past as we look towards the future? Um, so that that's a good question and one that I've been thinking about a lot, like from my business perspective lately, just because um, when you're creating the plan, like when we're trying to figure out the probability of success for someone, that's like a huge component of it is the assumptions of what returns we can look for in the future. So what I have up on my screen now, this first chart here is historical returns. So just looking back at the history of the market, what we've seen. And so you can see those look pretty high. Like I think we're at a place where we probably can't expect those type of returns going forward, at least not consistently. Um, so then in comparison, these are the returns from JP Morgan's capital market report for 2020. So you can see like their forward looking return. If you just look at like large U S companies is down to only like 5.6%. So they're more on like the pessimistic side, I would say. And this was also this report came out like before any of the market events we've seen this year. So that's not taken into account, but you can see like, as we look forward, historically we've had over 10% returns for a lot of like just the broad stock market and their forward looking thing is more in the like 6% kind of range. So I, now that the market's come down a little bit, I, maybe it's a little bit higher, but it, it is different than what we've seen in the past. The next question was about um, Fed stimulus and how that might impact typical FI consideration for Roth versus traditional. So I guess, is there like a standing wisdom in the FI community about Roth versus traditional? I feel like people lean more towards the traditional like pre-tax. 
I think they typically do because of Roth laddering. Yeah. Okay. Um, to me, it, this depends on your personal situation. I kind of like to balance it between different buckets. So if you think about like a Roth would be tax-free bucket because you have already paid the tax. You're not going to have to in the future. You can have a taxable bucket and a pre-tax. So I don't like to have everything in one bucket. It's kind of like uh, you can think of it like diversification for your taxes. So if you have some in like the different buckets, we don't know what the future tax rates are going to be, but that kind of helps diversify that like if tax rates somehow went down for the future, then that's good for your pre-tax. If they go up in the future, it's better that you had some Roth. Um, so that is one thing to think about right now. Like when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act went into place, it's not a permanent tax code change. It's set to expire in 2025. So unless it's extended before then, those tax rates we have right now are going to jump back up to what they were before. So I don't, with that in mind, maybe there's more of a case to do Roth right now, but again, I like to balance it between the different buckets. Oh, what else did we have? Dave had a question about trading volatility, I think. So the trading volatility thing is interesting. I was reading that um, with everyone getting their uh, stimulus checks, that Robinhood, the personal trading app, had a record number of people placing trades on it, which like, it's kind of akin to gambling to me because people are just on there like doing stock trades like crazy with this like influx of cash they had in some cases. So I don't know how much that is contributing to things, but that was one interesting thing I'd seen as far as like people trading in the market. Okay, I'll jump into the chat here now. So Ryan, your question about fees. So when you're looking at fees, you kind of have to see like the whole picture because all the funds have fees, depending on who you're buying them through, they can have commissions. Um, there can be management fees if you aren't self-managing. So when you're looking at that, you kind of have to think like, where is your money at? How is it being managed? And then once you see that, how do you break down all those different fee buckets? Um, if you're looking at the fund level fees, Morningstar is kind of the easiest place to go just because you can look up the ticker and see 
what the fees are for that fund. Um, so like if you're just looking at straight index fees, they're so low now, it's usually like 0.05% in some cases. Um, but then you have to watch out like depending on how your money's being managed, like the investment manager can take a cut and all those sorts of things. But as far as the funds go, I always look at Morningstar personally. So if like, if I'm analyzing the portfolio of someone who's coming to me, that's kind of where I start is like, you already have this account at Charles Schwab or whatever. Here's all the funds you hold. And I kind of do an analysis of like, these three funds might be a little kind, a little bit high fee for what they are. Uh, what next? Uh, can I interrupt for just a second? No. <laughs> I just don't want people to feel like they can't talk. Yeah. Like if they have follow-up questions, <laughs> yeah, I don't want like you to be on the spot the entire time. So like if you guys have follow-up questions or whatever, just, you know, when there's a, a pause, feel free to jump in and, and ask. Yeah, your, yeah your if anyone questions. wants to ask me, definitely just say it out loud and then I can kind of hit this list as we're taking yeah. breaks between them. Yeah, I just didn't want you to be on the spot the entire time, Ryan. So go for it. Thanks for jumping. Thanks for jumping in there, Amanda, because I was actually kind of baiting about if I should jump in there at all, too, uh, just because, like, I was thinking about, like, for fee analysis, I always go with, like, uh, my personal capital account just has the fee analysis portion of it, and I've yep. heard uh, with Tony Robbins' book, he talks about that, uh, uh, I want to say it's, like, America's Best 401k fee analysis, or it's something like that, where it's, like, just type in your stuff, and it'll help you figure out what you're actually paying in fees. But other than those two sources, that's just kind of what I've done. So that's kind of where I was asking, you know, which you kind of answered the question with the Morningstar portion. That's just kind of where I was trying to figure out if there's other options in there too that people yeah. can just dump their dump their portfolio into it and then it just kind of spits out like, hey, did you know that there's this one, you know, whatever, some weird 4037B fee that you're paying that isn't really all that noticed, but it, it is a fee. Yeah. Yeah. So... Morningstar is just going to be the fund fees. So the 401k plans are interesting because they have, they always have some type of management fee on top of them. And it's usually like kind of hidden in the plan documents. So that's a good thing to find when you're thinking about like how much you want to put into your work 401k. For the most part, they're usually like pretty reasonable, but some of them will have like just a crazy management fee on the 401k. And so then that can sometimes change your calculus of like, maybe I only want to put in enough to get the employer match and then direct the rest of my money for investing somewhere else.
I'd probably just read down the next one, whatever is next in the list and kind of yeah. jump through them the best you can. And then if people have little extra comments to add to it, I mean, it's a group conversation too. I mean, I don't, like, like Amanda said, don't want to put you on the spot just like a, you are the only one talking. I mean, if somebody's got some extra information to add to something, I mean, we're, we're all learning together here too. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question is kind of like having, I guess more broadly, having some sort of alternative in your portfolio. This one's tough for me. I don't personally get into that kind of stuff. Like, because you kind of get into a market timing game when you're doing that. Because if you look historically at gold, like it's kind of just follows inflation. And that's how some people describe it as, as an inflation hedge. So your reasoning for getting into the gold, like theoretically would be that you expect the market to drop. So maybe you can maintain your value by moving somewhere else. So then you're playing that game where you're trying to figure out when the market's going to drop. And then if you don't really want to hold all those alternatives long-term, when's the right time to move back to what you were? So I don't know if that's what the question's getting at, but that's kind of where my mind goes for that sort of stuff. Unless it's like in your plan that like I have in my long-term plan that I want to hold like, this amount of money in alternative investments and I'm going to maintain that for the long term, then maybe that's a case for it. What are alternative investments? <clears throat> Sorry, what was that? What are alternative investments? Is it alternative to stock? I, uh, yeah. No, no. So it's kind of like basically anything that isn't a stock or bond in general kind of gets lumped into this bucket of alternatives so like sometimes people like if, if you own real estate personally like you could consider that an alternative um investing in commodities gold or silver like we talked here all those type of things that don't fit in the the normal like stock bond kind of bucket And then I had the pointed question up next about real estate. If, if there's a compression on the stock market forecasting, you know, historically we've seen a pretty consistent outlook on real estate. And I think from my perspective, it's going up, at least for our portfolio. What's your thoughts on that? So are you talking about like owning real estate personally or like investing in? Uh, more so the investing side. So there's there's a lot of ways to do that, right? There's hard money, yeah. there's ownership, there's syndications, all those pieces. Yeah, I mean, that could definitely be something to look at. Like, it, it depends on your personal situation too. Like, if you want to own properties per personally and manage them, like, you have to be okay with the work that comes along with that. So whatever real estate route you're going down, I, I think the advice is just to understand like what part of it falls on you. What, what's your plan um, for like the actual like market investing in real estate. Those generally, I have it up on the screen here now, but those generally kind of trend with the stock market as far as like investing in like the big REITs that you can just buy a fund of. 
Um, so I, it looks like JP Morgan's kind of kept those in line with the stock market as far as like forward looking. But again, this is like completely different than if you're doing like personal real estate investing, because this here is just the equivalent of like buying a fund that's investing in real estate. Thank you. Yeah. So that JP Morgan projection chart you keep referring to, um, just so I understand, how far out are they projecting? I, I, is that just for 2020? Or is that um, they, they think for a longer period of time, these are the returns they're predicting you should be able to expect? It is, it's more than just the year. I forget how far forward looking they do. And they update this, it's like a, 50 page document and they send this out like once a year. So at the end of every year, you kind of get an update on like where they see the market going forward. I can't remember the exact amount of time they look forward though. But you, th you it's probably, it's probably a long-term investors forecast, I assume. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's probably at least a safe assumption. Yes. Yep. Okay. It's more of a long-term outlook. Will you be able to make these uh, slides available afterwards? Yeah, I definitely can. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, so then we can we can pick them apart a little more than Chris can deep dive into it. Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I might be able to download the whole report if people are interested that in that. That gets like really into the weeds, but. I, I can look at that too and see. Uh, next question, emergency funds. I think Ryan's a weeds guy, so I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for you, Ryan, but I'm guessing you'd dive pretty deep. <laughs> right? thank, thank you, Mitch. I didn't want to be the guy to say like, yeah, I'm going to be the weeds guy. Well, actually, Dave <laughs> is going to be the weeds guy. Dave is hardcore weeds guy. <laughs> I'm looking for nuances. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Emergency fund. Yeah, this one, this event we've seen, I think has changed a lot of people's feelings on this because I, I mean, there's industries where like, look at healthcare. People think like that is probably immune to any big market events like what we saw, but like, we've seen a bunch of like healthcare workers get laid off because no elective medical stuff was happening. So it, emergency fund to me always like is a really personal thing. Um, it depends, like are both spouses working? How many kids do you have? All those type of things. I think like the six month thing is definitely like a good starting point, but I feel like in the past when people would say like three to six months, it sort of feels like that's starting to shift more into like the six plus month kind of range. I know for for me and in the company side on the emergency fund, we're still definitely looking at keeping three months of corporate reserves in play moving forward. 
And then on the uh, personal side, to be honest, we don't have much personal debt and that's that's kind of the goal. And I think that's what Rachel's referencing is, you know, yeah. eliminating the majority of that personal debt is to me an equivalent of having a um, emergency fund. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's an important thing is like, whenever you have some expense that you can minimize, that lowers the amount of emergency fund you need. So getting rid of debt and any recurring payments that aren't necessary, things like that, that that reduces the amount that you would need to keep in the emergency fund for sure. Is there a is there a limit to how much emergency fund you think a person should have? Yes, just because like you're limiting your potential upside so much if you're keeping things in cash in that way. So, I mean, you want you want enough to feel safe and have your needs covered for a certain amount of time, but like beyond that it's probably better to get it invested. Yeah, I know we've talked about that different times. We get into very interesting conversations and debates about what everybody's perspective is on emergency funds and how to cover emergencies. So it's very interesting to hear different people's takes on that topic. And, you know, kind of like Ryan was saying, I mean, to me, it's, it's if I can find ways to uh, have that money grow, I'd rather have that money grow. But it's, it's very interesting just, when you get, when you kind of survey people on their perspective, especially from the fire community, like some people have none. I mean, to me too, it's kind of like as long as I know I've got lines of credit, credit cards, and I know I have assets to sell, as long as I can cover whatever little bit I have for for debts. I mean, I don't see any reason to have six months. But yeah. I know some people are in the opposite direction. Some people are all over the place. But it's it's a very interesting. Like if we could like tie it into a really cool survey and then expand on that a little bit. That would be really interesting to see different perspectives on everybody's take on that topic. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like, so there can be certain aspects of your emergency fund that aren't just a bucket of cash sitting there. So if you have a line of credit on your house that you aren't actively using, but it's just there in case of an emergency, like that can be a different way to fund those things. I mean, like, in the worst case, like, where you don't want to be is, like, where you're to a point where, oh, I need to put stuff on credit cards now. So avoiding those kind of things, but, like, in an emergency, it is probably okay to take a little bit of low-interest debt in the worst-case scenario. So that brings up an interesting question. Do you think... Um, using credit cards short term as emergency makes sense and reserving cash reserves to pay those off more rapidly. So this is a debate I've had with a lot of people inside of there. I have my opinion, but I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. It's, it's interesting just because like I, in our current situation, it just really feels like holding cash is like the right thing to do. But that a lot of that too is like recency bias. So 
you kind of have to weigh all the different factors. I, me personally, I wouldn't want to be taking on like a high interest credit card debt just because like that is really going to build up over time, like, depending on what your credit card interest rates are. I'm just talking about in general where we see like 15 to 20% and those type of rates. So Mitch, I'd like to hear more. Yeah, so uh, I prefer to put everything on a credit card and then obviously we pay it off or pay it down, right? Uh, what that allows us to do is when those cash opportunities come up, um, it, we can seize those cash opportunities. And even if we're holding a short-term um, credit card balance, it usually is outweighed by the asset we've acquired at a steep discount. So are you talking, you're talking from the business perspective? Business and personal. I mean, if you think about, so even over the last three months, right, uh, we've been able to get a lot of fun personal toys for cash. Uh, for example, we built, bought a whole gym set out before the, the spike in gym equipment came up, right? Um, we bought a whole gym set out because people needed money in a hurry or thought they needed money in a hurry. Um, and being very liquid with physical dollar bills and cash was helpful. But yes, also from the business side. I mean, from the business side that you see more opportunities there. Gotcha. Thanks. We float. I'm um, I use, I mean, we use credit cards to float a lot, um, and that doesn't bother me. We we pay them off every month, but like, if it, I like to delay if, as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like uh, on that topic too, because the way I look at it is, you know, I got a line of credit. I want to say it's like three and a half percent for you know tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, credit cards are pretty easy to get a zero percent for one year if you need that i think a lot of it is you got to be comfortable with knowing that you will pay it off in the time manner you say you will even if an emergency comes up but again i will say the whole um i know chris and i talked about this the last time but the whole worthy bonds you know put some money away and get five percent of your money and get it back in like three days i mean to me that seems like if i'm going to have any kind of reserves i'm going to keep it in in worthy bonds and then the rest of it i can just if i need to pivot take out a, you know, borrow a little bit on a credit card. And then as soon as I say, well, if for some reason I couldn't pay that back, then I may have to roll it over for, to a three and a half percent loan and then pay that off as quickly as possible. And knowing I have plenty of assets to cover those things, it just seems like there's a, there's so many different options available versus just having a pile of cash and saying, well, I almost lose, actually I am losing money in inflation by having this pile of cash, but Susie Orman told me to have six months. No, but that's my I mean, personal perspective. But I know that some people will say, um, to, you know, life happens. And as soon as life happens and you say, I mean, it's the person that buys a bedroom set for $10,000 that, oh, I have a whole year to pay this off and think about this. And all of a sudden they lose their job. And they're like, oh, now what happens? So it, it, it depends totally on the person, the personality and you know, if you're one of those people that, I mean, I don't pay interest on credit cards and I'll even call the credit card companies and tell them I don't pay interest on credit cards. And they're like, well, that's not an option. Like, that's not the way it is. You either remove it or we're going to change things. But that's a personal thing. But yeah, very interesting debate when you get everybody going at it. <laughs> I think Dave made a point too about the points. Um, a lot of times, even if I have, you know, I, like, most, I always have the money to pay for it, but 
I'm going to cash in on those points or the cash back or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Does anyone? I don't know if there's any more to add there. I, I guess my only last point that would be like, whatever your emergency plan is you have, just make sure it truly is like liquid and you can get to it when you need to. Because if it's, if it's something that you're thinking you're getting like more interest or something like building it on itself more, you just really need to make sure that like when the time comes that you would need it, you can get it fast. So while we're on the emergency funds topic, does, does anyone see in our lifetimes a similar event as to what we just experienced from an emergency capping? I mean, obviously we don't know what the future is, but I can't think of anything yes. in, yes, okay. Hit yes, I, I think I think that um, what we just saw here, I read some guys um, take on this from a financial perspective. It was actually a really good article. Um, and he said this was the first pandemic involving social media. And I think there's something with that social media perspective that things can escalate and cascade in a negative direction so fast that we don't even know. I mean, like even at work, it's it's so dynamic on one day or the other day. And like this last week, they announced like everybody needs to wear a face mask. And I'm like, why? And I'm like, um, because, because, you know, and it was just this whole like, well, who says we need to? I mean, I'm not being, you know, mean here. I just want to know. And they're like, well, um, uh, you know, it is nobody knows, but there's it's so many things, you know. It, I think that we've hit some kind of hyper, I don't even want you to call it. It's just like things can move so fast and so fast in a negative direction that I think there's enough people that hear something negative and that's like, okay, let's panic, go. And then they're like, I got to sell everything because that's what happens. So I think this is just the start of, it might be the um, killer hornet next time. But um, I think that this is something we're going to see more irrational things. Actually, this chart is up there right now, the history of markets ups and downs. I have something similar to that actually hanging on my, in my cubicle. And people stop by every once in a while and ask about it. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm just kind of giving you guys a little perspective. And they're like, well, I mean, if you look at that chart, Mitch's face or like the the whatever person is in that corner where it actually shows that drop. But I mean, it is a little tiny blip like that middle part. Yeah. And now that we've kind of come out, now that we've come out of it, everybody that was like, oh man, you know, I thought the world was coming to an end. They so, you know, they were trying to sell everything, pivot, whatever they could possibly do. Now they're looking back on saying, well, shit, that didn't turn out the way I thought it was. I thought the world was coming to an end. And I thought this time was different. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that are different this time. But I think that from a market perspective, this is kind of what the market probably will do. That's my take. Yeah, like you said, like as fast as this one happened, I don't even know if you could see it on this chart just because like it's within a month. So it's like so skinny that like it barely even shows up here, which is I don't know if that's what's driving it is like the social media and like the flow of information is so much faster, but I, that definitely could be. I think it is. And actually, I mean, I looked at my, I look at my personal capital every day for whatever reason. And um, it's, it's well above where it was before. 
And I even had some coworkers like, hey, I heard you're making a lot of money. And I'm like, what do you mean make a lot of money? And they're like, well, I can't remember how you came up. And I'm like, no, I'm just actually buying more stuff as it's going down. And they're like, oh, that's smart. And I'm like, how's that smart? That just seems like common sense here. But they're like, well, you know, it's just really an interesting conversation to think back to like a month ago and how everybody was so doom and gloom, like, oh, my portfolio is just tanking. You know, I hope it someday recovers. I can't retire now. But yeah, I mean, we're looking at it now thinking, I don't want to say foolish a little bit, but I think that when we look back even a, like a month from now, I think we're going to see such a growth from where we were. And as things get a little bit better and the unemployment numbers go back to where they should be, then I think we're going to see a, the market's going to continue back up again. It may not go as high or, or, or as fast, but I think we're going to have a nice recovery out of this. And then everybody bought things on sale, you know, look like some kind of genius, but they probably have a chart similar to your chart right there on their desk saying, just, just follow the course. Don't make any irrational moves and just understand that this is nothing new. This is just the way it works. Yeah. I mean, like, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Each one of these recessions and things are play out a little bit differently, but all we have to go on is to see what happened in the past and how things worked out over time. So I'm not sure where we are in the chat questions. I was just looking at that and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, who is your ideal client? How often would you recommend they contact you slash use your services? Yeah. Um, so my, I'm, I'm fee only, so I don't know if everyone knows what that means. Basically, it just means the only money I make is from what my clients pay me. So no commissions or anything like that. Um, kind of the market I'm targeting is there are like good planners in the Des Moines area, but in general, most of the really good fee only planners kind of target the really high net worth market. So I'm trying to be an option that's more in like the middle class type of market, younger families, those type of things. Um, my fee models, I do a couple different things. One is just project based where it's just like um, a one-time fee based on the type of work we're doing that just gets paid like half upfront and half after. And then the other one is just ongoing financial planning. So a client who wants to meet with me over time and continue building on their plan, iterating, just trying to improve over time. So those are kind of the two big models I do. I do have an asset management offering, but I've kept that separate from the actual financial planning because the obviously managing your investments is important, but to me, like the biggest value to be gained is just the whole financial planning process and looking at all the aspects of your financial life. Um, so yeah, the, the ongoing fee is just like a monthly fee that gets paid over time. And then we, I have like a service calendar. So throughout the year, it kind of lays out the different things we would work on. Um, whether it's like 
taking a look at some tax planning opportunities in the spring or looking at your employee benefits in the fall, any of that type of stuff. Um, what else? I think related to that, there was another one. Um, I lost it now. Oh, so what's an aspect of personal finance that really shouldn't be DIY'd? I think fire people. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it depends the time you want to put into it. I don't think there's anything that can't be DIY'd. I'm never going to say, like, every single person needs, like, a really intense financial planning package. Um, I think there's cases where it's like good to have second opinions on things like you don't want to be like an echo chamber with yourself when you're making big decisions. But like a lot of it is just like the time you want to put into it. Like the FI group is usually like more on the do it yourself end of the spectrum. Not all people want to do that. Some people are just like, I kind of want a general idea of what's going on, but can you manage everything? So it, it that kind of comes down to personal preference, I guess. The one thing I did find interesting, like in the process of launching my firm is that there's financial planners whose whole client base is other financial planners. So like, that was just interesting to me is like, a financial planner is going to a different financial planner to like kind of just think about the whole business and all those sorts of things. So, I think probably it's just having a second set of eyes for a lot of FI people. I mean, that's just that's generalizing. Obviously, some people want a totally hands off approach, but yep. it's always good to get a second opinion. Like, here, look at my plan. Am I thinking about this right? Is there anything I'm missing? Um, you know, because when you're DIYing, you might be missing some things. So, yeah. Yeah. With you there. Yeah. And then, like, to kind of piggyback on that, like, there are, like, better, like, financial planner-focused tools that you might not have access to as a consumer. So that can be another thing. Um, just because, like... It's, there are things that like you wouldn't want to pay $150 a month for, but like as a financial planner, when you're working at scale across a bunch of different clients, like you can use those things to help people with their plans. Well, thanks. Um, I'm just going through the list, so anybody yep. can stop or interrupt me. Um, Ryan, Renzi, I'll just let you go ahead and ask the question on exponential technology funds. Well, I think that's kind of the question. I know it's a, it's a grouping of ETFs that are based on things that, I mean, I know it's kind of timing the market in a sense, but I'm just, I, I keep going back to them. Like the whole idea of fintech is one, like the top 10 companies that have financial stuff that's online or robotics is one or electric vehicles or um, online learning is another one, but it's just these groupings of ETFs. And then 
I don't know. I, I haven't bought any, but I keep kind of thinking like, is there a benefit to adding some of that to a portfolio or have you heard much about that or is it just kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have thoughts on those specifically. Um, in general, like investment stuff, I'm pretty much focused on like broad market asset allocation. I don't really usually get like that detailed with like specific sector ETFs. But I mean, like, I wouldn't make them like a huge part of your portfolio, but if it's something that you're just like want as like a small piece, I, like that kind of thing can be okay. But again, I would just watch the fees on those type of things. Cause like when you get in that area of like really specific niche type things, that's sometimes where you'll see the higher fund fees. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So Amanda, are you going to kind of MC the questions? Is that what we're going to do here? I don't have to put you on the spot. I just kind of she thought bailed. you were leaning towards that. She bailed. Sorry. Okay. Well, oh, there we go. Um, I, uh, well, Dave says, get those miles and points. I know it's a long time ago. Yeah, we're a lot of, definitely a lot of travel hackers here. I don't, you can read the questions. I, I don't know what the best plan is. <laughs> so, well, I think we'll, we'll just open it up here in a minute. There, you had another question um, on the XY network. Oh, yeah. So XY planning network, I'm a member of, um, so it's a group of advisors that follow kind of a certain, um, we have requirements that we have to work by. So like you have to be fee only, you have to be able to work with younger clients, you have to be able to work virtually. So the advisors aren't like affiliated with XY Planning Network, but they just provide like a bunch of different like software and resources and kind of like community. So. Um, we have like mastermind groups where we meet with other planners and those sorts of things, but it's, it just basically provides a lot of resources for independent advisors. Okay. Thank you. Um, so is there any one thing about financial planning you would like the group to know such as when to go to a financial planner or that it is more simple than we all think think and don't overthink it so are there any i guess dave could expand on this he stepped away um so what i'm taking from that is like is there certain times when you really should go to a financial planner or can you really mostly handle it yourself yeah I, that gets a little personal. I mean, a lot of times what triggers someone to reach out to a planner is like a big life event or a change in some way. So like if you got an inheritance or like you're retiring. Um, <laughs> sorry, that comment made me laugh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
it really is like personal preference. Some people want like the ongoing relationship and being able to like anytime they have a question to send an email and get an answer. Other people are just like, help me figure out what is the best way to plan out my social security. And that's all I need. I, so I, that kind of is why I have the different options for like both ongoing and then like a project-based kind of plan. And I think like what they say is personal finance is personal. I think we've hit up, touched on that a lot tonight. Uh, For sure. Yeah. So I don't, did I miss, how about this? I'll just open it up and um, whoever has questions can ask Ryan or we can just discuss. I don't know um, if we've, I don't think we've missed any questions in the chat, but if we have speak up. Otherwise, um, we'll just open it up so that people can talk if they want to talk. Sometimes questions are harder to ask, and, you know, if we're typing, sometimes it takes more of an explanation. So I'll just open it up to everyone. You can ask uh, Ryan a question or, or we can just discuss whatever topic you want to discuss. Somebody's going to fill the dead air. Or I'll fill the dead air. Um, I heard something on the radio recently. They had a guy that called into one of those, uh, I don't know, one of those financial expert shows. I can't think of the name. It was like those 1040 shows. And the guy was like, well, I need to do this. What if I did that? If I do this and all this kind of stuff. And the uh, best advice the guy gave him, he said, well, what is your goal? And he just kind of said, work it back from your goal. And he said, if your goal get or if 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 the plan you have in place gets you to your goal, then really why are you putting all the extra effort and strategy and risk and everything else into that if if that gets you to your goal? It was just kind of an interesting take on where the guy was like, well, but the I decided to move to a bunch of government something somethings and it's not getting the kind of returns I thought it would. But then when they started penciling out the numbers, like, but you have more than enough money. I mean, you're what you just said your goals are, you've you've met your goal. So then it was just kind of these interesting, like I know different people have talked about that too, where some people have very complex financial plans when it comes to like stock market investing. And then some people are like really simple, you know, like the simple path to wealth type stuff. And then they're just kind of like, you know, I don't think I need all this extra stuff. And sure I could get. 2% more, but then I spent a ton of my time where I could have spent with my family doing something, or I didn't sleep those last few nights because I was stressed out about this last month's market doing what it did. And I mean, it's just kind of those things that, I don't know if Ryan, you want to talk on that topic of it all, or if anybody wants to kind of give their two cents on this whole, set up a good goal and a plan, and then don't chase the extra little returns because like Ryan was showing before, you know, the the charts are, you're probably not going to get it anyway. And sure, let's say you hypothetically could get 2% more because you you spend 10 hours a week agonizing over something and then don't sleep a bunch and then you're stressed out. Did you really gain a lot with those 2%? Yeah. I, that's for sure, like where I start with any new client relationship is just 
figuring out the broad goals in life. And then as we build out their like existing situation, like figuring out, okay, here's how we prioritized your goals. What are the things we need to do to help build toward those? So, I mean, like at the very basic, like that's what we do. So on the goal topic, right, it really comes on the mindset to me and it's broader than just financial planning in my opinion, right? There's a, I'm sure you guys have heard of Miracle Morning. There's a spinoff from Hal, uh, Miracle Equation. That's really good. And it talks about unwavering faith and relentless effort. So not stopping either one of those two components. And you move towards the inevitability of whatever your mindset and your goal is. Um, you move it from possible to probable to inevitable. And these are all buzz lines from the book. So I don't get anything for this. I'm just sharing. Uh, but that, that's that's really the premise is relentless effort, unwavering faith that what you believe in is going to happen. And I can tell you from applying that, um, it does. Uh, it's it's amazing that change. The other thing that he doesn't dive too deep into in there, but is has been really helpful for me is giving yourself, um, this is a life coaching type thing. So Sam on my team actually brought it up first and then I heard it again through the book. That's why it stuck out. But um, emotional healing components. So giving yourself enough time to be like, you know what, I'm going to be mad about this for five or 10 minutes, and then I'm going to move on after that. It's important when it comes down to financial planning and investments to give yourself that moment to be pissed off or scared or upset and then say, okay, I'm not that anymore. Let's move up that emotional ladder to the next stage so that we can actually get back to unwavering faith. Hopefully that made some sense. Hey, Mitch, what was the name of the book? Um, not Miracle Morning, but the Miracle... Miracle Equation. Equation. Okay, thank you. You bet. And on that note, um, I think there needs to be a book club at some point. So I'm trying to put some ideas behind that. I think it's a great <laughs> idea. I mean, if there's a, if there's a way we could collect... Uh, because we all got different books we're currently reading or high, you know, highly recommend. So yeah, if there's a way we can do that. I know there's a book club in Des Moines. There's probably tons of them, but I've never gone to it, like beers and books or something like that. Interesting. I'm thinking like mindset. Like I'm, when I think of things, I think of ladders, right? The, the good to great Jim Collins. I always think about everything in ladders now. So what's the first, what's the first level? What's the first rung? Where do we start? And a lot of what we're missing inside of both real estate and uh, personal finance is the mindset, getting our minds right to take that next step. And until we take that next step, we're hindered by that first, that first rung. So it's uh, a lot of groups go that, that nonfiction or they focus right into a specific topic, but we all miss, in my experience, we all miss the mindset piece until the very end. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. It'd be nice to come up with a way to get people to, I don't want to say rate the books, but it's some kind of like, if you were going to, if somebody came to you and said, I want to learn more about this topic, or I want to be better at, or I want it more self-confidence, what would you recommend? And then just trying to kind of collect like nine out of 10 people would recommend this book for real estate, or nine out of 10 people recommend this for, you know, just self-development or time management or whatever that is. It just seems like there'd be a way to, yeah, there'd be a way to 
bucket that. And then pick out the nice uh, little juicy nuggets that everybody, you know, quotes. For sure. Right now, I wish I had, I wish I had Jessica's quote on the top of my head right now that I added to my code, <laughs> my quotes. Damn it. We got silence. Anybody else got something, or I'll throw something else random out there. I've got something. Um, so it's kind of off the not on the topic that Mitch was talking about, but thanks for sharing that, Mitch. I've got that down. Is that a new book? Uh, no, it's been out for a while. Uh, so I don't know how long, but it's I've had it on my book for at least six months now. I just haven't got to it. <laughs> cool. I've heard a miracle morning, but I hadn't heard a miracle equation um, on my list. Swordfish is the other one. Or, or, sorry, bluefish. Bluefish. What is it again? Blue fishing. Um, Blue get that fishing. Book. It's like Peaky Blinders are reading it to you, according to Jess, and it is just phenomenal. So it's about. Um, go ahead, Jess. Oh, it large largely it's about making experiences, and it's also a mindset type book. It it overcomes the like um limiting belief like dave just brought up uh overcomes that limiting belief starts with a bricklayer and basically brings everything all the way to fruition if you want to get married with the pope he's the guy you go see so it's kind of a interesting piece thank you it's on my list too so i'm kind of going to ask a unrelated question to that anyway um, and kind of back to the personal finance stuff um, and it can Ryan can answer it or whoever else I just um, we hadn't touched on and I don't know that we've touched on it a lot in the meetups uh, the four percent rule and oh um, Ryan you can speak to this or, or if anybody has any opinions on that um, basically the four percent rule is if you have enough investments you know where you four percent of it covers your expenses you should be ready to retire, right? So 25 times your investments. What are people's thoughts on that, especially now? So you want me to go? <laughs> um, okay, yeah, you can, you can go ahead and then maybe yeah. anyone else has any. So that original study that came to that conclusion, I believe they were using like a 60 40 stock bond portfolio and so it like if you think back to like the returns they were thinking about for those type of things which like 10 plus percent for stocks and probably like six percent for government bonds whereas now we're at like a two percent so it, that changes things a lot depending on what your time horizon is so like, like if there's someone who like wants to retire when they're 40, let's say like there's such a long time horizon that like things can change so much with like the returns we see. But the other thing to keep in mind, which um, definitely I can send a link, but Michael Kitsis has a good article about this for thinking about guide rails on your 4% like if someone's withdrawing 4% and like something terrible happens they can probably make adjustments and like 
cut expenses and things, you don't have to just blindly take that 4% every single time. So that's an important thing to think about is like, how much can you like fluctuate in your budget? So like if we have a down year or a couple years or whatever, can you adjust down enough that you aren't going to like deplete your portfolio way too early? Thank you. And I think Dave just made a, a good comment and I, I, I'm with you. Um, the, the health insurance being such a big, I guess, question um, as to how much that's going to end up costing in retirement. I think what Dave say, health insurance is a big one on my mind and I'm not sure that 4% is enough. And yeah, I, 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 I can see, um, I like the guideposts. I read that article. So yeah. if we share that, I'll send that out in an email, but um, yeah, I hear you on the health insurance. Yeah. That to me is the toughest nut to crack just because like, if you don't have our whole health industry is just so tied to employment. So like, once you get out of that, if like neither spouse has access to an employer plan, you're kind of left with like a few not so great options. Um, you can look at the marketplace, but like those plans get kind of expensive unless you can like keep your income low enough that you qualify for subsidies, which that can be possible in some cases, but like you need to keep enough of your money in like Roth accounts or things that like aren't generating income because otherwise you lose access to the subsidy. So I, it's like people keep hoping this is going to change, but like right now it's still just like, uh, that's the toughest thing to me for early retirement. I'm still hopeful it changes soon. I just think that we're kind of hitting a tipping point where things are going to go another direction. I just don't know for sure what it is. And I keep hearing in the news and there's this advocates playing on the radio too, talking about how all these hospitals and clinics are on kind of the brink of being shut down just because since the elective surgeries didn't take place that they were already not making a lot. So now that all that happened, now they're going to try to scramble, even try to make them themselves work. So I don't know if that's going to create some kind of cascade effect or if that's just some kind of fear mongering to try to lobby to make money on something. But I mean, if you find out that a bunch of clinics can't be open or whatever with whatever's going on, and I just think it seems like there's so much that's changing that it just makes you wonder, is there something that is going to come in, it's going to come sort of some kind of universal health care or some kind of something along those lines that becomes some kind of cheaper option that makes the U.S. a little bit more like the rest of the world. And I did find that quote, is the juice worth squeezing, Jessica? <laughs> My quotes. Uh, we just related to what you were saying, not the quote, but the, the healthcare, Ryan. Um, we had an experience a couple of weeks ago where Alan needed to see a doctor and we just did the virtual. So we literally, he had the appointment. It was $40. Um, he got the prescription. He got into poison ivy and got an infection. Um, 
So then he got the prescription. So literally it cost us $45 for that whole thing. And he did it all from home. So I thought that was super, we didn't even use our insurance. There was, we just didn't even need to. So like, that's not going to, that's not going to change some of the major things that like surgeries or whatnot, but like for visits, it's super affordable. But it's it's a start in that direction. I guess I, I, I will I will segue onto something. I haven't decided how I want to share this information, but I guess it's supposed to be kind of a fire type thing. I've been talking to my um one of my older brother is a chiropractor here in Ankeny recently, and this talk came a conversation because he's always like, why do people pay so much money for MRIs? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's you know, if you start talking to people, what do you pay for an MRI? You can think of a number in the back of your mind, like what do most people? If you said, hey, I gotta go get an MRI, what would you charge? Well, he said, it's interesting because when I have people come to me, I tell them to go to uh, uh, just to go ahead and go to Nebraska Imaging out of Omaha. It'll cost you 400 and I think it's like 450 or $425. That includes um, radiologist uh, consult in there. He said, and if you want to go cheaper, if you have to have more MRIs on top of that, you go do it. There's a, in Chicago, they're like 300 something. But he said, yeah, you don't want to go to Des Moines because Des Moines is like 800 or he says like 900 some dollars for most places in Des Moines, but it's still cheaper if you go that way. But then he said, then if you uh, if you start asking the doctor more questions, if the doctor is affiliated with a hospital, they will tell you to go to certain MRI places and they will charge you your, uh, your deductible or your copay. But they said, but if you specifically say, but I also know there's places in Des Moines that, um, We'll do it this way, and it's not part of that network. He said it's just your copay. So there's people that are like, "What do you mean? I just paid twelve hundred dollars for a such and such, or you know, I had to hit my deductible of fifteen hundred. You're telling me I could have paid twenty bucks and I would have had the exact same stuff." And he said, "Yeah, that's just people don't know this for whatever reason." He said, "Oh yeah, Des Moines has some, or Des Moines has some kind of agreement. All of them say, hey, we're gonna like um, agree that we're not gonna lower our prices.' So." That has actually caught some people's attention on the uh, attorney general's direction. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but yeah. So if somebody says if you if you have an MRI, Nebraska Imaging out in Omaha, like 425 gets you everything you need. We have a whole bunch of them. Chicago's got a plenty of options. You can probably fly there for cheaper than it would be just to have it in Des Moines. Or if in Des Moines, just make sure it fits into one that's just part of your uh, part of your uh, office visit type. But it's those little tricks that people learn through the, the fire community that make us so much like you, you talk to people and they look at you like deer in the headlights where you're like, well, this stuff's out there for everybody. Like you explain travel hacking to people and they're like, that just sounds like illegal. You're like, what do you mean it's illegal? Well, it just seems like so you like game the system on points. No, it's just it's just, you know, it's kind of fun. But anyway, I'm sorry for the segue. But it just kind of seems like if you have more of those types of things, and actually the conversation started that got me towards the attorney general's office was we were talking about blood tests and how cheap blood tests are if you just go through walkinlabs.com and then you go to LabCorp out in Urbandale. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And then I kind of got in that whole conversation and that's what got the lawyers like, hey, can you tell us more information? So anyway, sorry. Okay, so does anybody have any 
discussion they want to have? Any topics, questions? Any other ways to do cheap health care? Jen? Did anybody, Prevention. did anybody look into the one? <laughs> what? Prevention and exercise. <laughs> That's a lot right there. Did anybody look into the, the cheapest way? Last, last month? We were talking about the one last month that's in the, it's still one of those health share programs, but I can't remember the name, but I mentioned it, but I can't remember why we we're even talking about it. Yeah, those, know them. those are, um, it's an option. They kind of make me nervous. Like you have to be willing to accept the risk that comes along with it. Cause like it isn't insurance you're pooling funds with other people and sharing the cost but it doesn't work the same way as normal health insurance does um they have rules in there that like they can drop you at any time and then they also have like rules that you have to qualify usually to even sign up for it in the first place like a lot of them are like faith-based so you like a certain religious denomination or something like that um, it is an option, but it, it's one that makes me kind of nervous. I think, um, a lot of those have rules against pre-existing conditions as well, or you have a waiting period for pre-existing conditions. So yeah, that's a concern too. Okay. So Dave said AMX was, oh, American Express was offering Calm for free recently. Anybody tap into that? I actually did. They have really good bedtime stories. So Calm is a meditation app. It's free if you have an American Express card. Um, I, was, I was trying to do it, but my link didn't work. So I need to try again. Yes, definitely try again because you need the bedtime stories. Yeah. Like, are they cheesy or good, or what are they? They're, well, story. like, one of them is the Velveteen Rabbit. Um, so one of them was read by Matthew McConaughey, and that was awesome. Um, they're cute. I like them. Alan hates them. <laughs> there's, there's funny ones, too. Like, they'll have someone with, like, a really, like, awesome-sounding voice that will read some, like, legal document. <laughs> So the one I remember is when the um, GDPR, like the European data regulation came out, they had some British guy that was reading the whole regulatory document. That might do it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so wait, no, no avocados this week? They weren't on, they were actually went up this week. Dave, th I know last time Dave told me they were on sale, I went and got five was the limit. So I got my five and uh, my daughter made avocado toast. I don't know if I've ever had that before. He's actually made it several times. It was really good. It's very West Coast of you, Ryan, with the avocado toast. You're an official millennial now. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> normally, well, yeah, so that's kind of what I was thinking. Normally I just buy them as soon as I can get them. And Dave lets me know when they're 50 cents or less. 
Then I go out and I buy a ridiculous number of them, make a bunch of guacamole, freeze it, and it lasts forever. But then this last time I got these five, and I'm like, well, I don't really want to make a whole batch of guacamole with this. And then my daughter, who's 12 now, she's like, we should make some avocado toast. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. How how hip of you. So, yeah, but actually, try it was pretty good. Okay, I just picked up on something. I have a question. You can freeze guacamole? Oh, yeah. I totally freeze it. And um, I put it in like certain size little bags. I got I got this recipe that I came up with from a combination of a whole bunch of other healthy recipes. And then I just make a big batch of it and I freeze in these little bags. And then um, I just pull one bag out, open it up, and it lasts for days because it doesn't turn black like most guacamole does. And then as soon as that one gets a little bit low, I'll grab another bag out, let it thaw for an extra day, crack that one open, and you can go like a week a bag. Yeah. Okay. So Dave says you need to share the recipe on Facebook and just tell me when you put yeah, it up. Yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, I'll have to. It's on my fridge, so I'll have to grab it sometime. And uh, but yeah, I think it's really good. I mean, it's it's. I would prefer it to be fairly um, not a shit ton of chemicals in it and stuff like that. But um, I think it's great. Okay. Yeah, what are some other things? My mom got me a vacuum that... sealer. So my mom got me a vacuum sealer. So I'm curious to play with that thing now. I have a question. Um, so I haven't maxed out my Roth um, IRA for last year. Um, would you, would there be any reason why I would put money for my Roth IRA for this year versus since we can contribute till July um, to do it for last year? No, I would definitely fill up your 2019 bucket first because then you still have the 2020 available for the rest of this year if you are able to do it. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. What are some other, I don't know, this goes back to the food thing. What are some other like foods and things that people can freeze that people don't know about? Like I found out the other day that you can just buy a bunch of lemons like in a big bundle and then you can freeze them for like lemon juice, not for just eating probably, but. Yeah. So you take them out. You take them out of the freezer and let them defrost before you juice them, or how does that work? I assume so. Yeah, I I think so. But like, I mean, if you can get like a big bundle when they're on sale, like that would be that's useful. I don't know. What are some other things that people know about like that, like that, like that, like the avocado freezing or or guacamole freezing? I should say something I haven't done for a while, but I always enjoy doing. Well, they got one of those food chopper things where you like slam it through and it like grates everything. And I'll buy a bunch of, uh, I'll do a bunch of tomatoes, peppers, and onions. And I'll chop them separately and then I'll freeze them in bags and I'll like flatten them so they're about that thick and it's the bigger bags. And then you can crack a chunk off whenever you want to make some type of stew or whatever. You want some onions, you just crack a brick off and then throw a brick of onions in there. Or I'll, so I'll make the, I got the green pepper ones. I got the onion ones. I do tomatoes. And then I also do a pico de gallo one. And I'll just have several of these things and I'll put them in the freezer when you have some free time. If you get a ton of whatever's on sale cheap and it's just, you kind of do it in bulk and just knock it all out in an afternoon. I've heard you could freeze milk, like just the whole jug, put the whole jug in the freezer, and then it'll keep. And then uh, the other thing I heard was you can actually freeze blocks of cheese, but it's not necessarily good um, if you're going to use cheese. It's good if you're going to use the cheese for cooking stuff, because I guess it kind of changes 
the texture a little bit. So you wouldn't want to put it on like a salad or something. You'd want it to cook in stuff, but you can freeze cheese. And I had never heard of the cheese thing. The milk thing I knew a long time ago, but I'd never heard about cheese. And I was going to say, I'm the opposite. I've, I've heard about the cheese. I haven't heard about the milk. That's yeah, we freeze milk here. You just, it takes a little time to thaw. And it still lasts. Yeah. Uh, and we, when we freeze cheese, we freeze uh, shredded. And Dave just said bananas. And I put, yeah, bananas. I second that for smoothies. Any fruit you could use in smoothies. Something I used to do and I haven't done in a while is I would used to buy like the big cheap bags of spinach and I would throw them in the blender and blend them up. And then I would, I had some silicone molds, like ice cream molds, and I haven't done it for a while. Then I would just pour the uh, pureed uh, spinach into the, the the cubes and then I'd freeze them. And then I'd pop the cubes and throw them in a bag. And then like when you want to make a smoothie, instead of grabbing a handful of spinach that hopefully isn't uh, rotten because it didn't take very long, you just throw like three cubes in your, your smoothie and throw some fruit or else one in there. But I thought that was pretty cool just to be able to take a bag and it just consolidates to a tiny little brick of ice cubes. Biggest problem I seem to have is that like I'll buy I'll buy like a head of lettuce or some parsley or something and I'm gonna use like two leaves of it, you know, in a recipe or something. And it's like, well, what do I do with the rest of it? I don't want to waste it. <laughs> but so the parsley you can freeze. Oh, you can freeze parsley? Yeah, you can freeze it in water, like in ice cube trays with a little bit of water. Dang. <laughs> and but the the, oh, I, the lettuce I don't think you can save. My wife throws a couple of paper towels in the lettuce, and I don't know why, but she puts a, a couple of paper towels and seals it. But I, I don't know why. It lasts longer because uh, it doesn't get like slimy and it just keeps the moisture. We freeze, uh, we freeze bread. Wow. What, is there, what else does everybody else have for topics? Questions, curiosities, books you're reading lately that you find fascinating. I'm reading um, Carrots and Sticks Don't Work Right Now, I think is what it's called. It's actually a pretty good book. I just got on Corporate Rebels before that one. I really like that one too. I was just going to say, um, not necessarily related to books I'm reading, but uh, I got a rebate, a note from my insurance, car insurance company about that, uh, I guess it was about middle of last month that, hey, we're going to give you 26 bucks back or something like that, 26 bucks a month, some whatever, some percentage of my car insurance back because they presume I wasn't driving very much, which is obviously true. So um, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Did everybody, did everybody get a check from your insurance company? I didn't oh, get it. Mine. We did. did it yeah. my payment. I got fifty bucks nationwide. I didn't get anything. It seems like everybody else did, but I don't think I did. Unless my wife didn't tell me, but I don't think I got anything. <laughs> I think some are Metro, like MetLife. Get it off your next premium. Yeah, I think they were going to do that with mine. Is take it off my next premium, but they sent me a separate letter saying what they were going to do. So, anyway, I was like, "Oh, I'd heard everybody talking about that." And I'm like, oh, "I figure I'm getting screwed on that, on that deal too." But you know, it didn't work that way. So, yay me! 
Uh, Dave, so I got a question. Oops, sorry about that. Oh, no, I was just going to say um, it looks like it might be worth checking into Geico, huh? 15% discount. <laughs> and on the book Dave, club I idea, I'm in, I'm I'm a part of a, they call it the silent book club. So basically you get together and you kind of talk about the books you're reading and then, but it's not that everybody has to read the same book. And that's kind of cool because then you don't have to read whatever thing that, you know, somebody picked because they thought it sounded interesting and it's a 1200 page documentary of uh, Roosevelt and, you know, certain national parks. Cause I was in that book club and it wasn't that fun. <laughs> that book was hard. Um, but uh, I, I, I like that one because then people can tell you like what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, so you kind of get a lot of good ideas for what you want to read next and the ones you don't want to read, you just kind of say, thank you for your input and you move along. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of good for that. Is that like a Facebook group or how do you, or is that like a, how, how do you find that group or how do you communicate through that group? Um, well, they do meet in part well before they met in person. Now, obviously we do, uh, online discussions um but it is a facebook group kind of like this one um and i think i found their meetup or something so we could always just you know do an offshoot of this which is you know maybe a financial silent book club or something like that but i think there's a national organization that kind of gave people the idea and so then they've got local chapters kind of like kind of like the choose if i one so Dave, are you still there? There you are. <laughs> Got a question for you, or just kind of a general question. My uh, One of my brothers, the one out in Vegas was talking about, he was talking to some people that I believe have higher net worths, and I'm not sure how high we're talking, but they were talking about the option of starting their own insurance company because of a way to shove a bunch of money into it and also provide insurance. But just as a as a strategy for people with higher net worths, and I don't know really any of the details, but he said they sounded like they're moving forward with it, but he doesn't know any details other than the guy has money, trying to figure out what to do with the money. So somehow he got the idea, and I think it was more of a tax-related and a strategy direction that you can buy kind of the catastrophic coverage to cover that end of it, and then everything else... It almost sounds like an HSA that you created your own HSA that has some kind of catastrophic coverage on it that because you somehow created your own insurance company or whatever they're calling it, that you're able to shove a bunch of money into it through premiums or just a whatever. Have you ever heard of such a thing or can you think of how something like that would even work or be structured or is that even, is that just a crazy idea? Is that one of those things like, well, yeah, if you had a hundred thousand dollars laying around and you could buy some type of plan out there that covered the, the critical stuff, then you would somehow be able to make this work that you're able to pay at ridiculous premiums. And I don't know, I mean, I don't know a lot of details of it, but it, it just seemed kind of like the way it was kind of explained, the little bit I got from it, I just thought, this sounds like there might be something there. It just sounds crazy. So I know okay. I'm oh, sort sorry. of here because I'm also tending to the kiddo. Uh, but basically, it sounds like they wanted to start up a captive insurance agency, which it can work, but it's usually when you have a legitimate business pur purpose, 
the big ones I can think of is like somebody that's in a construction field that wants to start a work comp insurer. Since generally the premiums are sky high, um, you can do it and get the expense and then also have lower premiums and it saves money that way. But if you're trying to do it as a pure tax avoidance, then the IRS has generally been looking at those sorts of transactions pretty hard. And while you can get away with it, it's generally not something I would be comfortable with. I mean, again, it sort of depends on exactly what type of insurance they're pursuing, because I've seen such plans for like health insurance for work comp and also for like general liability slash umbrella. But again, it seems to work best when there's a legitimate need. And if you try to go out to the, the market, that the prices are just too high. Well, I'm assuming the person doesn't have health insurance. They're probably a small business owner or maybe have a couple employees. But I mean, I'm, I'm reading into a lot too there. But anyway, I just it just sounded like something interesting, like there's something there. I don't know anything about it or if it even benefit anybody in the group, but just the idea of creating your own insurance company to insure yourself, but also have tax benefits and um, figure out a way to shove a bunch of money into something to whatever. Potentially grow it, I assume. I, mean, I wouldn't know why you let it sit there stale. Anyway, I know that was kind of way out there. No problem. Yeah, I've run across one or two like self-employed health insurance companies like that. But again, generally, if it they're really small, the administrative fees would pretty much nuke any tax benefit or any savings because the ones I've seen is sort of a wraparound. Either they have somebody else doing the reinsurance, so like each employee they have to cover up to the first hundred or $60,000 of expense, then the, up to 250,000, they have some reinsurance and anything over 250, they'll like the reinsurance will cover 100%. Um, and it sort of works once you start to get into like larger companies, like hundred plus employees, but I've never run across anybody that's done it for, Again, probably less than a hundred employees. Or I wonder if there's options out there with the administrative fees, like newer startups that are able to handle the administrative end of it at a much lower cost. I know we're kind of going off in a whole nother direction, but anyway, if anybody else got something else to talk about too, throw it out there. But it just seemed kind of like there might be some nugget of something there. I just don't know what it is yet. I'll ask enough questions so I figure it out. John and John, did you have? So I'm just gonna say there's a Wealth Without Wall Street um, tax webinar that where they go into the pretty advanced tax strategies, and that is one of the strategies they mentioned. Um, and it, it, I just thought that was a pretty fascinating thing. Um, I believe they're talking mostly about doctors who make more than about seven hundred thousand a year. Because um, it is a fairly expensive strategy to implement. And then John was mentioning that um, some people at FinCon, I guess, were talking about the strategy a little bit. 
the people at Bimini would like to see if anybody was interested in, would talk to them over the year about it. They were trying to decide if they could put together an insurance group and then open it up to FinCon members because it would have the would have you know between two and three thousand people that are members of that and family members and whoever. So they were trying to decide if that was feasible. Were people interested? Did they want to talk about it? And I, I think know. I heard a little bit about. I think I heard a little bit about that. And to me, that just seems like there should be enough financial independence folks out there that they should be able to come up with something, whatever it is. I mean, if if the realtors have their own group and whoever has their own group insurance group, they uh, the tech savvy financially savvy folks should be able to come up with something that's at a at a reasonable rate. Okay. Um, did anybody else have anything? I think I'm going to take off. I mean, you not that you all have to take off, but I did want to thank Ryan Watermiller for taking the time to put together the, the presentation. The graphs are amazing. Um, if you can share that, I'll send it out to the group and in an email too. You just want me to email? A couple of them are separate because a couple are just like PDFs on their own. Okay. And then there's a PowerPoint too, but I can send it all. I don't know what people would want to look at. Uh, well, I think a lot of people would want to look at all of it, <laughs> or at least sit through it. I mean, I thought the charts were, were pretty awesome. So I wanted to thank you, though, for your time and, and for answering the questions. And um, I'm going to take off, and you all are, you can hang out if you want. But thank you, everyone, and we will see you next time. Bye, yeah. Amanda. Yeah, it does seem like the uh, group of folks is dwindling down. I mean, we can talk for a few more minutes or otherwise we can kind of wrap it up. I think we're down to like the last last seven people. But Jared, are you going to say anything? I'm kind of oh. curious how things are going with you. Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure. I don't have a lot of news, just working from home right now uh still looking are at you, are you still look go ahead still looking at real estate yeah yeah uh but i'm very much in the saving up a down payment well i'm in the saving up an emergency fund and then paying off a, pro a personal loan and then saving up a down payment phase so <laughs> okay at a time i suppose but uh yeah i'm still looking awesome awesome okay well i mean if anybody else does if anybody has anything we can talk about real quick, but otherwise we could probably wrap this call up a little bit early. We usually don't wrap them out early, but I think it's probably either really nice outside or we've done it. Probably what it is, we've done enough video calls these last uh, few weeks that we're all just kind of tired of video calls. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll throw this out there. Like, what would people like to see for next time, possibly, or thoughts or suggestions? Well, I know we had the one where Amanda was talking about getting a hold of someone that I think they were somewhere outside of the U.S. And they were going to, I can't remember what this was with that. She was going to get somebody that was outside the United States to do something. And I know Vicky talked about having a couple financial planners 
on that have very kind of different opinions of things, how that might be kind of interesting. But I think if we go from financial planner to financial planner, we probably want to like break it up a little bit. I mean, Ryan did an awesome job. He'll probably have you do it in a few months again if you want to do this again. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed yourself. Um, sure. I think everybody else did. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think whatever Amanda had would be one option. But yeah, if anybody's got anything else that seems like it's a good topic to to put out there, I mean, we can either, we can bring that to the, the Choose Phi Des Moines page too uh, on Facebook. Or if anybody's got anything, I mean, throw it out there. It's about right there we go. Aw. I think one of the things right now is it's like just I, I, I keep running into this myself because I keep I'm always just on the lookout for new information and whatnot. But like aside from specific circumstances, I think there's just we've covered so much as a group and that we've got that such a long document. I'm like, what else is there that we can optimize and you know hack per se, right? Like what else is there that could be could be useful with knowledge and strategies and whatnot. Well, I'm not sure about you, Jared, but I know personally every once in a while, it seems like it's helpful to look at things with fresh eyes or that's true. I mean, even just one of the recent meetups where just sort of look at where your savings are. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this is how much I have in traditional plans. This is how much I have in Roth plans. This is how much I have in taxable things and just being like, wait a second, this is getting sort of lopsided, especially if I want to start doing the retire early side of it. Because yes, the Roth, trying to optimize more for Roth or the taxable side. I mean, yes, there is the 72T election, but that gets a little bit funky too. And just trying to figure out because for a while, I was just trying to save as much as I possibly could. So it was always the retirement plans. But now trying to figure out with my goals, maybe that wasn't the best thing. And when we had that exercise in the group, that's what caused me to reevaluate things. Makes sense. Yeah, I think that's something that people, time. it seems like they start out, they get drawn to financial independence because they want to learn more about money. They want to learn about getting rid of debt. They want to learn about getting close to retirement. But then all of a sudden they hit this point where somebody's like, hey, do you understand why you're doing half the stuff you do? Or are you happy with what you're doing? And all of a sudden you start to go down this whole nother path where you're like, so the money was interesting up to a point, but now it's kind of like, are you living with intention? Are you, you know, are you super stressed about what you're doing? You know, you could save a ton of money and all of a sudden I'd be like, yeah, but I missed everything that was important in life. So I yeah, think that something. kind of, it kind of evolves in that direction. And, I'm, and I, I know I'm in that place where I'm always just curious about the whole, like, what makes you happy? What What's important? And is it the time with your family? Is it the discovery of stuff? Is it understanding yourself better? Your, you know, do you really want to quit your job to do what? And why? I think just trying to find out the meaning behind the why. And I know Mitch is reading a whole bunch of books now, and I need to I need to check out a few of those books that he's talked about. I some of them I have read, but even like the book Enough, I I don't. It's not on an audio book, so that's why I'm already kind of it's a barrier. But it's a short book. But just the whole idea of just gratitude. I know that's talked. To, I guess that's talked to a ton in that book. 
and Mitch has referenced that book a few times now. But I mean, I'll definitely check out Miracle Morning. I know that's a Tim Ferriss publication and that Miracle Equation, I'll have to check that one out too. But I think just the the trying to live a full life and regardless of the money or whatever it is, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with that whatever syndicated uh, financial radio show where the guy was calling in with was like, well, if I do this and I do that, and if I do this and I can do this, and then he's like, okay, so how much money do you have? Where's this money at? Oh, it's in government, super safe, da, 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 da. And he's like, okay, well, you realize you actually have hit retirement compared to, you know, with the numbers you've given me right now, you have enough money that you could just peel off and go out and golf, go out and fish, go out and spend time with your friends. And it just is, you can tell the guy's like, well, wait a second, you mean I don't have to optimize this? And he's like, no, you've already done what you targeted. You're done. So then I think the guy was kind of like, oh, well, huh. Interesting. And you can tell the guy was really kind of thrown off by, he, he had been chasing returns or trying to optimize things all of his life. And then he just got to a point where he didn't even realize he hit his goal and that what he did now to make things simple and more reliable, I think that was a key word there too, is it was a lot safer and reliable and he already had a good foundation. He just had a hard time wrapping his mind around the fact that he was there and there was no more trying to chase it or sleepless nights. It was just an, an interesting, interesting uh, reaction from the guy. Okay. If anybody else says anything else, let's just call it there then. We all good? All right. Well, I'll see you guys next month. If you guys have anything you guys want to talk about, in the meantime, go ahead and throw that into the the uh, five Facebook Des Moines group. And if avocados are below 50 cents, let me know. Hey, thank you, everybody. Have a great night. See you next Bye. month. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Good shit. Bye.